They say the journey of a thousand miles begins in one step Watch me two-step, double jump the line Don't care who's next, sun will only shine if you let it uh, Second place is still considered winning, don't forget it uh, Look at all the paths that I chose Look at how I rose, slam slam dunk like D-Rose Slam it on my foes, I put one foot up up on the moon uh, Next step coming soon, uh, magic in they face The journey continues, uh, journey continues Journey continues, journey continues did you think I was coming back? I'm back. I'm sorry it took so long for me to come out with another episode. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be shorter than the hour-long episode. And I promise uh, moving forward we will go back to our normal routine. I do want to give you guys a little bit of heads up. So I have, during this break, decided I want to revamp a little bit. Um... So I will be shortening some segments, adding some seg segments, and also I am not going to be taking in callers anymore, so you don't have to worry about calling that number. Um, I'll just do emails and questions on Instagram or Facebook. Um, what else is new? Yeah, I think that's about, I think that's everything I wanted to tell you guys based off of, or at least that I can remember. Um, so I am going to, on this episode, tell my story. Because I have had people reach out to me and be like, oh, I heard you say this in the podcast. I didn't know this about you. Um, what happened? And I feel like I've had, I don't know, I don't know how many episodes I've had now. I think this is my fifth episode. Um, yeah, I think this is number five. But I haven't told you guys my story and I've, I've given you a little bit of a background as to why I want to do this podcast but I haven't told you the full story and I felt like it's time um, these last few weeks that I've been gone about a month now I've just been going through it y'all <laughs> like really going through it and it's nothing I mean where did I leave off I think you guys missed everything my plan was to come back so many times and then things kept happening so initially uh, my uh, where do I even start I was so nervous to do this podcast because this is the truth and the truth when telling the truth it can be really scary and these last few weeks I've just really been focusing on myself and my relationship with myself and figuring out how to process everything that I've been realizing and going through and so initially my car got repossessed and that was scary I have I told you guys I went on a medical leave at work and I was waiting for my checks my checks to come in for medical leave and I had already been behind on bills because I have a spending problem, if I'm being honest, um, which I'm working on. I had been in contact with them and let them know, hey, I'm not getting my checks, I'll let you know, but I woke up one morning and my car was gone and I freaked out. Luckily, I was able to get it out the next day or the following day and I, I was able to get it out the, fo the following day, I believe. I went into like a deep depression after that. I was ashamed as well. I'm going to be honest. I was ashamed um, because my point uh, of my Instagram and my podcast is just to be honest with everyone because this is real life. You know, people, this happens to people and it's not something that you want to talk about. You don't want to talk about your lights getting shut off. You don't want to talk about your car getting repossessed. You don't want to talk about you not being able to put gas in your car. You don't want to talk about those things because it can be shameful. For me personally, it feels shameful because I feel like I should be, I know I should be taking care of my family, my daughter. And it's hard to process that my car got taken. And I was wondering how am I going to take her to school and what am I going to do and that sort of thing. So it was, it felt shameful for me and I had to process it through therapy and I knew I was going to talk to you guys about it, but 
every time I've worked myself up to get to this microphone, it's been, it's been hard. Uh, then my laptop broke. <laughs> then my laptop quit on me. I'm so glad that the Mer Mercury retrograde is almost over because it has been kicking my butt. I'm over it. <laughs> I'm over it. Uh, but also I've had some internal things going on where I've kind of been struggling with my anxiety and I, uh, I'm just ready to tell you guys what, what, how I've become the person that I am today and then with the following episodes you will get your normal content, I promise. So this isn't going to be easy for me at all. I'm going to start from the beginning and I hope that you guys realize that I'm not looking for sympathy. <laughs> I understand when people say to you, I, I'm sorry you went through that, like I get it, but for me when people apologize for what I've been through, it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable because it's my life, you know. There's nothing I can change about it. Um, and you didn't do anything. So I'm not looking for sympathy. Uh, if anything, I want you to feel empathetic. Um, and hopefully this gives you a better understanding of where people are with mental health and makes you feel a little bit more empathetic for people that you see around you that may be struggling and, and going through some things or have been through some things and, and now they are who they are. So I'm going to start from the beginning and I was born August 27th, 1991. I was born in the 90s, so I am definitely a millennial. I was born into a crazy household. I had a crazy dad who was in and out of jail and on drugs, and my mom struggled with depression and some other um, mental illnesses. I had, and I had a big sister. She was seven when I was born. Um, then my brother came about a year and a half, two years later, maybe two and a half years later. Um, and I remember my mom would be changing his, I remember he first came home and my mom was changing his diaper and I wanted her, I told her, take him back, take him back. So at this point I'm two and I have this memory and I remember telling her, take him back, take him back. And she thought, as I got older, she told me the story. She thought I wanted, um, her to take him back to the hospital because I didn't want to see him in pain, but I thought she was molesting him and I didn't want him to have to go through that and I didn't tell her that at the time but I remember thinking he's crying because he's being molested I don't know where a two-year-old would get that thought unless it happened to them uh, I remember oh this is hard Ooh. I remember my dad would suck my toes and I did not like it. I had to have been two or three maybe, I don't know. I told my mom, I don't like when he sucks my toes and she said, tell him to stop. And I said, I did. And I remember that day he came in, I don't know where he was. And I remember sitting on the couch, the room was dark, the TV was on, he came in and he started sucking my toes and I didn't have any memory after that. But I knew that I hated men and he was in and out of treatment, in and out of jail. And when we would go see him, I hated seeing him. I didn't want to see him. I didn't want to be around him. I have a vivid memory of him telling my siblings that we were all going to go to Mall of America when we came and visited him. And when we got there, I couldn't stop crying. My mom had to take me we couldn't go to the mall. My siblings were a little bit upset with me, but I just could not be around him. And I didn't know why I hated him so much, but I just did. He was very abusive to my mom. Um, he was abusive to my sister. He was just, he was just off. And now he's sitting in jail, which is where he belongs. But after we got out of that crazy situation, my mom left my dad. Um, we lived in Bloomington for some time. I went to an elementary school in Hopkins, and then we moved to Plymouth, and I started a new school. At this point, I'm starting a new school in Plymouth. I'm in third grade. I'm the one of the only black girls in the school. I think there was one more, and her name was Princess. Um, one of the only black girls in the school. I shouldn't say that. There was another one. But 
I was very, there was very few black kids in the school, maybe three in my grade, and I felt it. Third grade was my best grade. I loved my teacher, um, but the move wasn't so much fun. My mom and my sister weren't getting along at all, and it was an abusive, toxic environment. My mom was very depressed, and it would be hard for her to get out of bed some days. So I didn't have friends at school. I grew up as a Jehovah Witness, and my mom wasn't going to the Kingdom Hall at the time. Um, so it was just me and my brother. Eventually, my mom met my my dad. I call him dad now, um, but he's my stepdad. And um, she ended up getting disfellowshipped from the religion. And if you don't know what that means, it's, it's basically like being shunned. Uh, you can't talk to the people in the congregation, but you have to try to work your way back in. Uh, so I wasn't allowed to have worldly friends. I wasn't allowed to... It wasn't that I wasn't allowed to have Jehovah Witness friends, but the Jehovah Witnesses weren't talking to us, the children, because my mom was disfellowshipped. So it was just me and my brother for a very long time. I didn't have friends. In the fourth grade, I started playing the violin because I looked up to my sister, and she played the violin for a little bit. Uh, and then um, my stepbrother moved in eventually, and it was toxic with him being there. Um, him and my dad were fighting a lot. And so I just ended up feeling very lonely, um, and that was elementary school. When I got to the sixth grade, I was bullied uh, because I went to an all-white school. I had white friends, and I don't know if she was jealous or what, but she did not like the fact that I had white friends, this, this girl. She was two times bigger than me. She scared me, and she was like, I'll snatch the weave out your head. I didn't even know what weave was. <laughs> So I was bullied in sixth grade and that was hard. I just went to school every day. I told my mom about what was going on and she tried to help as much as she could, but I just like kept my head down and just pushed through. Um, but middle school was a very interesting period of my life. That's when I realized uh, I liked hanging out with black people because I actually saw black people around. My cousins live in Atlanta at this point or um, they I've never lived with my cousins in state so I've always felt envious of the people that have a ton of cousins that they get to go hang out with because my cousins have lived in Iowa California or Atlanta and so I haven't been able to get to know them hang out with them the way that I wanted to so I've always felt like I didn't really know what it I didn't really know what it was like to hang out with a group of black kids and they were hilarious. I felt like I could re relate to them more and so I enjoyed being around black people or black kids at that point. I shouldn't say black people because I am a black person and I had black family. I enjoyed being around black people in general, but I enjoyed being around black kids and that was my first experience um, like as a preteen being around diversity in a school. Seventh grade, the girl was kicked out because she brutally beat another, the, my friend, my white friend. Um, so she was expelled. And so seventh and eighth grade felt much better for me, felt much comfortable, more comfortable for me. Eighth grade, I became a little bit more promis promiscuous. Um, then we moved to New Hope. And uh, I started going to school I went to, I started high school at 14. In ninth grade, I went to Armstrong for not even the whole year. Um, I was determined, I was determined to lose my virginity in eighth grade. So when ninth grade came around, I was still very determined to lose my virginity, but I was nervous at that point because I had liked one person in particular and i didn't know if he liked me back and we he eventually became my boyfriend and uh, i was skipping school with him he was in a gang um and i was just going over to his house skipping school just to hang out with him and basically have sex with him he would have me making his lunch breakfast cleaning his house like i was doing all of this stuff thinking this is going to be my husband i was very naive I thought this is going to be my husband at 14. 
uh, one day I, re I remember him cheating on me over and over and over. And I still thought I love him so much. I want to be with him. I'm 14. I'm naive. Um, I hadn't experienced affection in my household at this point for maybe six years. Um, and that's because at around eight, my mom stopped giving me hugs and kisses. Uh, so I feel like eighth grade, ninth grade, the way I was looking for affection was in a negative way. Thinking that sex equaled affection, thinking that sex equaled intimacy, um, and not knowing what a relationship was supposed to look like. I walked into this relationship thinking this was it for me. Uh, so when he, I found out he was cheating, I told him, I don't want to be without you. And <laughs> I remember he told me to close my eyes. And I closed my eyes, and he puts a gun to my head and is like, all right, what's your last word? Say your last words. And I'm crying. And then he just starts laughing. And at that point, I knew he was crazy. Like, I knew something was off, but I still, I still didn't get it. I still didn't put that in my head that he wasn't the person I was supposed to be with. My mom eventually found out I was skipping school, and she got a restraining order against him so that he couldn't come around me. And so that was the end of that relationship. After that, um, he was expelled from the school, and I was interested in a senior again I didn't understand what a relationship was supposed to look like he was 18 I was 14 long story short he raped me in Armstrong and I didn't tell anybody I remember that day uh it was the end of school he raped me at lunch and I skipped school the rest of the day and at the end of school I was walking out to leave to get on my bus and my friends were like, are you okay? You look off. Did something happen? Did you have sex? And I said, yeah, because I couldn't, I didn't know how to process what happened. And I didn't want to say, no, I was raped. I was ashamed of, I didn't even know what happened. Honestly, it took me years to figure out what happened. Um, so at this point of my life, we're in ninth grade. I haven't had affection for six years. I'm dealing with a toxic household. My sister is now moved out and married. She got married at 18. So it's just me and my brother in this house. And I'm a teenager at this point. He's becoming a preteen. Um, so we're not like hanging out as much as we used to. And I was able to have friends at school now. But my friends weren't really my friends at school. And I didn't know that. Uh, but I am now seeking attention. So I go into Michael's and steal beads because I liked making bracelets and necklaces with beads. And... I take it, nobody catches me. So I put it in my closet. I don't even use it. I just put it in my closet. And the next day I show my brother and I'm like, look what I took. <laughs> he was a goody two shoes at the time. And he's like, if you don't tell mom, I'm going to tell mom. And I said, no, don't. And he's like, if you don't tell mom, I'm going to tell mom. So I told my mom and granted, like she didn't know anything else that happened. She just knew I stole something. And so she's like, when you get, when I get home, you're in trouble. I'm like, in my mind at this point, I'm thinking, I hate my life. I hate, uh, oh, let me back up a little bit. So eighth grade, sixth, seventh and eighth grade, I started talking to guys online because, again, looking for affection. Now, at the time, did I know all of this? Did I know my intention? Did I know I was looking for affection? No. At the time, I'm thinking, I just want a boyfriend. Uh, but... I'm online talking to guys, and there was one guy in particular that lived in New York that I talked to. He was our, he was my age, so it wasn't like I was talking to some old man. Um, he was definitely my age, just like send pictures. We're still friends on Facebook. I'm friends with his sister on Facebook and Instagram. He was my age, so it wasn't creepy. But um, 
why did I say that? Oh, I said that because um, this is this is where I'm at. So I'm thinking I I I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have any affection. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. My brother's mad at me for stealing. Uh, my mom's pissed. I hate myself right now. I feel super down. My life's over. I need to just kill myself. At this point, I have been in therapy on and off. I've been on meds on and off. I felt like a guinea pig because I'm taking so many different kinds of meds. And they gave me trazodone to help me sleep. Which I still can't sleep at night. Um, and I didn't know that trazodone was actually an antidepressant. I thought it helps with sleep. It does help with sleep, but I thought it was a sleeping medication. So I took my whole bottle of meds to try to just gracefully fall asleep and not wake up again. And, um, it, tr like, that, that is hard for me to think about because... I have a daughter now and at 14 like you really didn't want to be there anymore that just hurts my it just hurts my feelings to think like all the stuff that I have been through where I just really wanted to kill myself and my brother and my sister had to find me like passed out in my bed and um my mom rushed home <laughs> and my dad was home, came home, and, um, I'm sorry, and, um, they put me in the car, and my dad was so mad at me, I think he was just hurt, and he's like, if she wants to die, let her fall asleep, and my mom kicked him out of the car, and she took me to the hospital, they told her the trazodone wasn't gonna kill me, it was just gonna make me sick. So I threw it all up on the way to the hospital, or yeah, I threw it up on the way to the hospital at the hospital. Um, and then I just fell asleep for a very long time and woke up and they were taking me to the psych unit. My mom was very like hurt and upset with me. And then I'm waking up from this and I'm like, it didn't even work. And now I have to deal with all of this. And it's worse now. In the hospital, um, I learned a lot of coping mechanisms, and I learned that I like cooking uh, to make myself feel better. I learned I like playing cards when I'm down. I like doing arts and crafts when I'm feeling down. Um, we had a lot of family therapy sessions, but that is where I met my ex, <laughs> my, my recent ex which probably wasn't the best idea to get in a relationship with him when you meet him at the psych unit, right? After I'm in, I'm in the hospital, I finally tell the people in the hospital I was raped. And uh, they said, you should tell your mom. I told my mom and I told her I didn't want to talk, I didn't want to report it. I just wanted to be done with it. And when I got home from the hospital, a detective was there. So now I feel betrayed because now I have to tell this detective everything again and I'm over it I'm done I don't want to talk about it anymore um the detective goes to the school questions everyone she gets a note from the dude who raped me because I wrote him a note saying after he was so upset with me for not wanting to have sex with him I wrote him a note saying I'm sorry I like you I care about you in so many words and um I'll have sex with you and so she saw that note and she's like, you said you were going to have sex with him. So we believe him. Um, and he is now like a teacher. I moved to a different school, a performing arts school. Uh, and I enjoyed my time there. It was fun. I had a good time. But then my friend died and the school was so small. It was about 100 of us, maybe a little bit more than that. And I couldn't stay any longer walking past his locker and everything it was just too tough so I went to Cooper and this is where uh, life 2.0 begins <laughs> Cooper is where I felt the most freedom I've made a lot of good friends that are still in my life there 
I lived close to the school and my mom worked from home, so a lot of kids would come over to my school, to my house after school. Um, and I was really enjoying my time at Cooper. I was only there for a year and a half, two years, but I enjoyed my time there. Um, at this point, my family goes back to and joins the Jehovah Witness community. And when my brother and my dad got baptized together, I felt a lot of pressure to get baptized, even though I didn't want to. I just felt like everyone's asking me, when are you going to get baptized? When are you going to get baptized? And I felt like I should get baptized. So I studied and I got baptized, even though I shouldn't have at 17. Now, baptism for some people is you can get baptized as a baby, and that's fine. Some people get baptized as they're older. In the Jehovah Witness community, when you're baptized, you're devoting your entire life to God. And unfortunately, to this, it's not just God. The intention is God, but it is also to this um, congregation, religion. Um, and so... I am now, I've signed a contract basically with this religion. My senior year, I did not like, I hated everyone um, because I was dating someone, it didn't work out, and then his girlfriend ended, his girlfriend and her sister ended up bullying me uh, when, and it was a lot of like, just wanting to fight me. Granted, I was a drama queen myself, don't get me wrong, I probably, I mean, I don't think I initiated that, like, bullying session, but after it started happening, I, I was just like, whatever, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just keep my mouth shut, so. Um, but I didn't get to walk across the stage for graduation because I wasn't going to class at the end of the year. I wasn't finishing my work. I just didn't care anymore. Everybody else was figuring out what college they were going to junior year. I didn't know. Well, I didn't, I wasn't going to college. I knew I wasn't going to college. Um, and so when I didn't get to walk, I was told, you're never going to graduate. You're just going to be a statistic. So I was determined to graduate. And I attended a, I attended a summer school and graduated. So after that, I worked two jobs and, um, let me see what I wrote. So after that, yeah, I worked two jobs and I just felt like it still wasn't enough, me working the two jobs and trying my hardest to, you know, um, just to try to figure out what I was doing. I was working at a coffee shop and I also was working for Coit, the carpet cleaning service. Eventually, what happened? Yeah, so eventually the vice president of Coit was sexually harassing me, having me come over and drink wine with him, having me make dinner for him, touching me. And I was naive and dumb once again. Why was I at his house? I went with my friend, but why was I there? When uh, we said we were, he, he said he wanted to invite all the telemarketers to his house for dinner. And I told him I knew how to cook. And he was like, okay, let's cook together. Let's all cook. And so he asked me to go to the grocery store because what did I need? So he brought me to the grocery store with him. Then he dropped, brought me to his house to bring the groceries there, showed me around, and then dropped me off at home. He was creepy. And I felt weird around him, but again, naive. Um, so then we went over there, we made dinner, he gave us wine, blah, blah, blah. I felt uncomfortable. My car ended up getting, I went to Atlanta. Yeah, I went to Atlanta, visited my family for a bit, came back. Um, my car ended up getting totaled, so I stopped coming to work at Coit. And because I felt uncomfortable, every time I was there, he was just like being a creep. So I eventually told my manager, like, I'm uncomfortable. She said, he's done the same thing to me. I go to my mom, tell her what's going on. We talk to HR. HR tells me, I, he's my neighbor. He's been my neighbor for 20 years. He would never do that. He has a daughter your age. I quit because I'm done. I'm not going to deal with this. Um, at this point, cars totaled. I'm homeless because I 
am living, I'm, I didn't want to go home. My mom was frustrated with me because I wasn't doing things the way she wanted me to do them and living like the way she wanted me to live. And so I left and I was drive. I was working two jobs, one in Eden Prairie, one in Bloomington, and I would drive to Mankato every night to sleep or Rochester every night to sleep because my friends would allow me to stay in their dorm or their um, house with their roommates. So I was driving about two hours or an hour and a half after work every day just to have a place to sleep so that I could live my life the way I wanted to live my life. Um, and that's why my grandma bought me a ticket to go to Atlanta because she was like, you're just, you're just going through too much right now. I find, when I come back, my car is totaled, I find out I'm pregnant. I tell my parents, I tell my family on Christmas of that year. So Christmas of 2009, I tell my family I'm pregnant. Um, I move back in with my family. We talk, I move back in. I have to talk to the congregation because I'm baptized and let them know I had sex outside of marriage, I'm pregnant, um, and I ended up getting publicly reproved because I was apologetic and um, yeah, so publicly reproved means they announce in front of the congregation, uh, Sister Oliver is publicly reproved, which means you can talk to her, but she's done something wrong and she's not allowed to make comments in the, during the service um, and she's not allowed to have a Bible study with people. I don't even know if I was allowed to talk at doors. I can't remember when you knock on doors. I don't think I was allowed to talk. So that was embarrassing. <laughs> um, I went through my pregnancy by myself. I felt no, no connection to my child while I was pregnant and it felt weird, but it was, I think it had a lot to do with me being shamed for being pregnant me feeling like I'm not married, me feeling like, what am I going to do? I'm 18 and I don't even have a real job. I'm going to have to be on welfare. I just didn't feel any type of excitement about this baby coming until I started getting bigger and I saw the little newborn clothes and she was even smaller than the newborn clothes. And yeah, and then she came and it was a rough start for her, but she fought through and she is a fighter even till this day. Um, I eventually moved out. We got our own place. And someone that I met when I was going to Mankato, um, he was a good, I thought he was a good friend of mine. Um, we talked a lot about things. He'd tell me things he didn't tell other people. He showed me his poems and like tell me about his life growing up. And I told him about my life growing up. And you know, like when we talk on the phone, we talk for hours sometimes. So I thought he was one of my good friends. And then he kind of just disappeared. And I didn't know what happened until I saw on Facebook, like, something like I'm out. And so I asked him, like, what happened? He's like, oh, some girl lied on me and said I, I beat her. And you know that's not like me. And da-da-da-da. And I'm like, okay. So let me preface this because... People like to point this, or he likes to point this out. We had sex to, when I was 18. It was like the first night we met, we had sex. After we had sex, we, we talked. And then we kept talking, and that's when we became best friends. And I wasn't interested in him romantically, or I wasn't sexually attracted to him after that. Like, we would hang out. And I thought, I, I thought maybe it could be something, but eventually it was like, nah, this can't be anything. I'm not attracted to him. So we were friends. So yes, we had sex. In the beginning of our relationship, we had sex. But then moving forward, I'm 21 now at this point. So three years later. And during that time span, we did not have sex. Um, he, so I get my own place. Uh, this is when I'm like 2021. 20, I'm going out a lot. He comes over one night to just catch up because he worked down the street from my apartment, and we're watching TV. We're watching a movie. Think like a man. Um, he just kept talking about wanting me to let him do things, 
okay yeah and uh i kept telling him no no i'm not interested no i'm not interested no 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 and eventually he just pins me down and i tried to fight back and eventually i realized if he's crazy enough to pin me down and like crazy enough to do this he's crazy like let me just lay here and so then i laid there and he was just disgusting and whispering i love you in my ear while he's doing this and and then he gets up goes to the bathroom and i'm like sitting there in shock and he comes out and he's like are you on plan b and i or he's like are you on birth control or something like that and i said you need to get out and he's like why and he starts crying now these are fake crocodile tears because he knows what he's done at this point and I told him he needed to leave and he's just sitting there crying and telling me how much he cares about me and he's sorry and he thought and and then I said you need to leave and then it turned from crying to evil and you know you liked it that's why you were wet and I told him like look men that are sexually assaulted they get an erection and it doesn't mean they enjoy it but they that's just a normal response for your body when something's happening. It's a normal response, a normal reaction. You need to go. So he leaves, and he's like, all right, all right, I'll leave, whatever. So he leaves. I lay in bed, and I start crying. I try to call my best friend at the time. She's asleep. I try to call my sister. She's asleep. I call the rape hotline at the U, and they told me, well, you're not a, you're not a student, so we can't talk to you. And then at that point, they gave me another number to call, but I was over calling people and I just laid there and cried. I went to work the next day, told one of my coworkers what happened. They told me to go to the hospital and get a rape kit done. I got a rape kit done. While I'm there, he shows up at my apartment, calls me and says, I have plan B for you. And I said, you know what you did? I recorded it, the conversation. Um, eventually we started going through the court process it took me some, I, after the rape kit, you have 30 days to decide if you want to report it or not. On the 30th day, I decided I'll report it because I went out with my friends and he was there and he grabbed me by my waist. And at that moment, I freaked out, ran to the bathroom crying and then left. And I knew I can't let him get away with this. And um, we went through the court process. I was very depressed during this time. And eventually they were like, we didn't know you were raped at 14. We don't want to put you through a trial with a jury. Is it okay if we offer him a plea deal? And I said, okay, that's fine. So they offered him a plea deal and um, he's out, which some of you may have saw the Facebook post that happened a few years ago and all of that craziness, but he's out. Um, after that, I was very, very, very depressed in a weird space. So all of this leading up to 21, 22, 23, I've been raped two times, molested, grew up in a toxic household, like all of this, and I'm dealing with it on my own, and I don't, I, I don't know what normal looks like. I don't know how to deal with my emotions, and I don't know why I'm feeling all of these emotions. I felt like something was missing and I couldn't find what it was because he had taken it from me and I couldn't even really be there for my child. I was like at a point where I was ready to give her up because I didn't think I could do it. Mm. And um, yeah, so I ended up going back down to see my family. Um, I come back up and my mom's like, they take me for a walk and they're like, you really need to go get help. So I go get help. I get EMDR treatment, which is like a way to help your brain compartmentalize things. And it helped. It really did. And that's when I started dating my ex um, from the psych ward. <laughs> it was really a bad idea. It was really a bad idea, but we had stayed friends that whole time. He was the only person I had stayed friends with, and once again, naive, right? So I'm pretty sure he was sleeping with his roommate at the time, um, and I come into the picture, and he asked me to move in, and I move in, and 
their relationship was very toxic. On both ends. On both ends. I wasn't very nice to him after I kept dealing with stuff from him. And I should have walked away a long time ago. Um, it was emotionally and mentally abusive. And he was a narcissist. Meaning everything had to be about him. And it was always about him. And he would do things and lie. He would gaslight me all the time. He would do things in my face and then say he didn't do it and make me feel like a crazy person. Eventually I got sick of fighting. So I would just let him deny it, let him lie to me over and over. There was no cheating or anything like that, which is good, but it was just toxic in general. Um, we were fighting a lot towards the end of our relationship. I told him a year before I left, I wanna leave and he cried and told me, no, my parents told me I need to stay for stability for my child. And so I stayed and then I could, a year of dealing with it, I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I left and I moved in with my friend, um, my best friend. And she let me stay there with her for as long as I needed, which was only a couple months. And that leads me up to today. So I, am not broken i'm still here i am not a jehovah witness anymore i will never be a jehovah witness again it's just not for me i'm more of a spiritual person i don't need a group of people to help me find god that's just not for me my child is now eight she's doing well she's bilingual um, she plays an instrument, she's in sports, she's in Girl Scouts, she's affectionate, she's cuddly, she has friends, she's, she shows me what an eight-year-old child should look like, and she, she shows me that I should be empathetic for my eight-year-old self. Um, my mom and I have had a conversation now about the things that we both experienced, and I've forgiven her. Um, because she's been through a lot. She dealt with my abusive dad. She had watched her dad beat her mom growing up. She was depressed. Um, and, you know, she was young and, and she hadn't been, you know, she, when I think about how I dealt with my emotions at my, at my age, she had three kids by the time she was 24, 25. So, and I'm 27 and I'm just figuring it out. So I feel empathy for her and I can forgive her. I don't know that I can say that I forgive my dad or I for sure cannot say I forgive my dad. As I went through the EMDR treatment, um, it helps you start remembering things a little bit more from your trauma sometimes. And I told you guys that I remembered sitting on the couch in the dark with the TV on and he came in and started sucking my toes. Well, after a session one night, um, I had that memory again of him coming in and sucking my toes, but then the scene played out more. And um, he uh, pulled out his penis and had me touch it. And then my mouth was on it. And for a long time, I was like, how do I know this scene is real? Like, this can't be real. How do, I, how do I know it's real? And my therapists were like, your brain will tell you to think it's not real because it's trying to avoid the memory. And I have a couple memories from, I mean, most, most people are like, you can't remember from the age of two and three, but when there's trauma, you can remember the trauma. And I remember the trauma. Um, He's in prison right now for molesting a woman, and I will never forgive him. He's like disgusting, and I'll, I don't even I don't even think of him as a dad, a father. He's never been in my life. I want nothing to do with him. I don't want him ever around my child. I don't ever I don't need any type of closure from him. He'll never admit to what he's done. He still denies the fact that he beat my mom and my sister, and I know he did it, and so. He's dead to me. He's disgusting. I'm over that. 
I can't say that I've forgiven my rapist uh, because I haven't. If I'm being honest, I have not forgiven them. I have forgiven myself because for a long time I blamed myself for being in those situations. Um, but I haven't forgiven them. I don't, I don't know where the first one is at exactly, but I know the second one hasn't changed and is still the same person, still disgusting, still trying to taunt me. And I don't, I can't forgive somebody like that. I watched A Star is Born. And if you guys haven't seen that movie, it's about a singer who meets another singer who's not famous. He makes her famous, but he struggled with alcoholism and depression and then kills himself at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert. Uh, that movie had me crying for a full day after I watched it. And this was recently watching it because I realized I watched my mom struggle with depression and slowly kill herself. And then I realized I watched my family had to watch me struggle with depression and try to kill myself. And then I realized I had to watch my brother struggle with depression and try to kill himself. And I didn't realize how traumatic all of those things were until watching that movie. Because it's just my life to me. I processed a lot. And I've come to the conclusion that I'm savage as because who deals with all of that and doesn't turn out to be like this person who wallows in their self-pity and I mean I I any I can I can say that there have there are people that have dealt with worse, right? And there will always be people that have dealt with worse. But no one's trauma is more significant than anyone else's trauma. Pain is pain, and no one's pain is more painful than any other one's pain. Like, me being raped is severely painful, right? But you watching your father die is just as painful. I can't tell you that you're not as hurt as I am. I can't tell you that. So... Yes, other people have dealt with worse than I have and other but other people that have dealt with worse than I have are out here thriving and and owning businesses and telling their stories and being life coaches and I am not going to let any of what happened to me stop me. So I tell you all of that to say, yes, I have been gone for some time because I have been literally going through my whole life in my head over and over and over and over and over. Not because I want to change anything, not because I think anything, um, I feel bad about anything, but because I've, I'm feeling empathy for myself and because I've always just ignored it and blocked it out. And um, I can't move forward with my life unless I, I look at my past. When I was little, uh, like I said, it was kind of a toxic, it, not kind of, it was a toxic household. I still say kind of and stuff like that to protect my family. Um, and we're all adults. Like, we all make mistakes. Uh, I, I don't condemn them for anything. It was a toxic household. And when I would hear yelling, I would plug my ears and I taught myself how to make my ears ring. So to this day, I can make my ears <laughs> ring. Um, but I would plug my ears and I would make my ears ring and I would close my eyes and um, I remember thinking as a, as a kid, this is just a dream. You're going to wake up and, uh, you're going to be an adult. You're just having a flashback on what happened to you as a kid. You're going to wake up and I'd be like, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I would never wake up. Um, but when I did have those ideas that this was just a dream, I would always see myself in a business suit, looking outside of glass windows on the top of, at the top of a building in like a conference room. And I knew I was the CEO. I knew I was the boss. I knew I was, I own that company. And um, here I am. I don't have a business suit on, but I own my own stuff and I'm here and I'm not going to let anything break me and I'm going to keep pushing for my daughter, for my family, and um, for myself.
life throws stones at you constantly, right? Like, I think of life as, like, if you're in outer space, right? And (laughs) there's no gravity out there, so you're just floating. But other things are floating as well, like giant rocks and giant asteroids. And at any moment, something could come and hit you. And that's life. You're sitting in the dark floating around and you have no idea what path you're taking. You're just floating and um, things are being thrown at you. It's what you do with those things that makes you the person that you are. You can either sit on it and be sad about it and be hurt about it. Or you can take those things and help other people. And so I'm here to help other people. Um, I'd like to read you guys, I know for my um, podcast, I normally close out with an affirmation. Um, And one of my favorite quotes is from Les Brown. And so I'd like to read you guys that. If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, to work day and night for it, to give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for it, if all that you dream and scheme is about it and life seems useless and worthless without it, If you gladly sweat for it and fret for it and plan for it and lose all your terror of the opposition for it, if you simply go after that thing you want with all of your capacity, strength, and sagacity, faith, hope, and confidence, and stern pertinacity, if neither cold, poverty, famine, nor gout, sickness, nor pain of body and brain can keep you away from the thing you want, if dogged and grim you beseeched and beset it, With the help of God, you will get it. I want you guys to have a great week. Oh, um, my episodes will be released on Thursdays continuing. I don't know if the 11 o'clock time will work for me, so I'm still working on that. Um, But I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, This was probably the hardest episode that I have put out. But now, I don't have to be scared anymore. I've told my truth. Um, And I appreciate you guys for listening. And the journey continues. Look at all the paths that I chose. Look at how I rose. Slam, slam, dunk like D-Rose. Slam it on my foes. I put one foot up up on the moon. Ah, Next step coming soon. Ah, Magic in their face. The journey continues. Ah. Journey continues. Journey continues. Journey continues. Journey continues.